We're in chapter 25 tonight. Last week we looked at 23 and 24, and uh, we saw how God provided uh, wisdom for for David um, when he could have sought revenge on Saul's life in the cave, but he didn't. And um, tonight we're going to continue kind of similar with that theme, do not seek revenge. In, in early studies of, of David's life, we, we really come to understand uh, a lot of different things. But a lot of people don't um, focus too much on this chapter uh, for some reason. I don't know why, but it's, it's a pretty incredible chapter. It's kind of like watching a drama thing on TV. I mean, you know, uh, there's intrigue, injustice, there's conflict, anger, revenge, attempted murder. Uh, an impassioned plea, uh, a sudden death, even unexpected romance. And so we're going to see all that tonight, all in the same chapter, chapter 25. I was going to try to do 25 and 26, but I thought that's just biting off too much. So we'll take our time as we go through chapter 25. But before we jump in, we just got to look at a couple background items, um, a couple facts. Uh, After David... Uh, spare, spared Saul in the cave, as we looked at last week, in the cave near Engedi, in chapter 24. Apparently, the two men obviously went their separate ways. Eventually, David ends up, he's moved his men, he has 600 men with him, uh, west from the Dead Sea, toward, uh, across this rugged mountains into the, the desert of Maon, and they settled near a ranch by a name of a guy named Nabal. And we're going to look at Nabal tonight. And uh, while they were in kind of Nabal's backyard, they were being good neighbors. And so him and his men protected Nabal's flocks from anything that might bring them harm. Because back then that was their livelihood. And uh, so uh, they protected uh, Nabal's flocks. They protected Nabal's servants from occasional marauding bandits that would pass through the land an attack without warning, and David was there for their protection. Well, as we begin in verse 1 of chapter 25, we kind of have this thing just thrown in there. uh, Just all of a sudden it says, now Samuel died. (laughs) That's it. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house at Ramah, where where his house was. Now, a lot of times what they would do is they would mourn their dead, and Samuel wasn't any different than anybody else. He, he was mourned. Aaron was mourned. Moses was mourned all for 30 days. You can look at Numbers 20, Deuteronomy uh, 34. Uh, even King Josiah was mourned. And, and that's kind of what they did. We, we're not given much more. Now, he does uh, kind of make one more appearance here. It's kind of out of sequence, but we'll see that um, in the coming weeks. Samuel does. But, but for the most part, here, uh, it just says that he died. And obviously, they were mourning Samuel because he was a faithful priest. He was a spiritual leader of Israel. They looked up to him. And almost in uh, the opposite of, of Samuel, once again, we're introduced to an individual in the coming verses here named Nabal. And 
the background of this guy is told to us in verses 2 through 3 there. It says, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a, na- a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. Carmel. And uh, the man was very rich, it says, first of all. So a little bit about this, around, this guy. He was a very wealthy rancher. Very filthy rich, really. I mean, he had, it says there are, what, 1,000 goats, 3,000 sheep. He had, he had a lot going on. And um, the, the word means, uh, very rich means, it means heavy in the Hebrew, which means he was just loaded down with goods. I mean, this guy was just very, very wealthy. Now, his name, unfortunately, means fool or foolish. Okay, so you have two combinations of, of, two, in the, of two things that are probably not very good. You have somebody who's very rich and somebody who's very foolish. And a lot of times you find that even in, in our society today, right? Um, and so when someone would say, hey, hey, Nabal, they were kind of saying, hey, hey, fool, get over here. That's real, literally what his name meant. Um, verse 3 tells us a little more about him, about his personality. Uh, he was not only rich, uh, he had, it says he was very rich, he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So this is a time where they would um, make their money. They would bring the sheep together, they would shear them, they would sell the wool, do all these things, and it was a very crucial time in the life of a rancher. It says in verse uh, 5 there, so uh, David sent, sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. In other words, you're there as my, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you. All right? And uh, so just make sure you use my name when you, when you get to this guy's house. And greet him, and here's how I want you to greet him. Peace be to you, verse 6, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Sounds like a pretty loving greeting for someone. It doesn't seem like it was rude in any way. Now, another thing that I skipped over here, I forgot just to talk about Nabal's wife, because he was married. Her name was Abigail. And uh, it tells us there that uh, the name of his wife was Abigail in verse 3. Listen how it describes this woman. The woman was discerning, and she was beautiful. So those are two good combinations, right? So you have a rich man who's foolish. And not only that, but if you look down a little further in the same verse there, it says, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. All right? So he was not a, a good character. He was a descendant of Caleb. And uh, so, but he's got this beautiful wife. She's intelligent. She's beautiful. And her name, Abigail, means source of joy. So you have a guy who's very rich, who's foolish, married to a beautiful woman who's intelligent and a source of joy. And his ways were very harsh and evil, it tells us. And so this is, this is the, the shearing time. It takes place, which is usually a festive period of time. They're excited. They got their sheep. They're going to make some money off all that they do. 
Uh, it was a time when basically you cashed in on all the months of hard work. Uh, it was traditionally a time of hospitality. You'd, you'd have a big party with all your servants, and everybody would, would benefit here. There was a, a, a custom, you might say, that it wasn't written in law anywhere, but it was a custom of the day, that sheep shearing time was a time that, as a rancher, you could benefit others with gifts. You could just bless others with gifts because you had more than enough coming in. And um, especially those who were out in the hills protecting your flocks because it wasn't like they had them in a pen. You know, these, these sheep would roam all over the place. So remember, David and his men were being good neighbors. They were watching out for, for Nabal's flock and even his men who were trying to tend the flock from the, the marauding bandits that would go through the land. And uh, he, he sends his compliments, first of all, and he reminds Nabal, look at what it says. He sends these ten young men. He says, be, peace be to you. He says, I hear that you have shearers. In other words, hey, it's, it's time for the, the shearing of the sheep. Verse 7, now your shepherds have been with us, and we did no harm to them. In other words, we had their back. We could have taken advantage of them, but we didn't. Remember, he's got 600 men with him. So if he wanted to take a couple of sheep and kill the shepherds, he could have done that very easily. But he didn't do it. And uh, later in the chapter, in verses 15 16, if you glance down there, even one of Nabal's servants reminds, it says, hey, this is true. This is what these David's men did. They were, they were kind of a wall of protection between us and these bandits who would come through who might have attacked them. And... Uh, so you have this, this scenario. These ten men have been set out by David to speak before Nabal. And uh, he tells them what to say. And we didn't do any harm to your shepherds. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. So in other words, we didn't steal anything from you. That's what he's saying, basically. Verse 8, ask your young men. And they will tell you. In other words, if you don't believe this, ask the shepherds who work for you. They'll, they'll, they'll verify this, which they do down in verses 15 16. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. We're here for peace. He already said that like five, six times. For we come on a feast day. And it's, the culture over there is much like, you know, um, I think it's over in, in Af- Afghanistan. When, when you have a foreigner in your village or in your home, you're, you're kind of there to protect them. You know, whether you agree with them politically, it's irrelevant. You know, it's kind of a similar thing here. And so they figure, hey, we're going to ask this guy for some food. We've been helping him out. It's common custom. So he says, please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. And so the basis of, you know, David's request here is simply that, you know what, we've been protecting your men. We've been protecting your sheep. And uh, it's just a logical thing to do to help us out here. We're living out here uh, with virtually nothing, and we would appreciate it if you could do that. Well, look at what happens, the refusal of Nabal to help in verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal, just like they were told, in the name of David. In other words, they said, hey, we're, we're here from David. And then they waited. <laughs> the idea that they waited is they probably knew there was trouble right away when he didn't overjoy. Oh, yeah, come on in. You know, um, for some reason, uh, he probably had the servants go out and they talked to him and then, you know, they got the message back, whatever. So they're, they're in this kind of a waiting loop there. And then in verse 10, and Nabal answered David's servants. 
Listen to this. Who is David? His, his attitude really reveals the kind of man he was. And he knew who David was. I mean, you know, he wasn't asking a, a, a honest question here. Who is the son of Jesse? You know, that's the idea that obviously he knew. If he knew he was Jesse's son, he knew who David was. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. So he obviously knew the scenario that David was on the run from Saul. All these things were going on. Remember, he used to help Saul out with playing the liar and helping him out when he had this oppressive spirit on him. And uh, he says in verse 11, Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't even know where you're from? <laughs> All right. His attitude really resulted in David's response here. Um, it's, it's the answer of a fool. You know, he gave a very, very foolish response. It's just plain stupid what he did. Um, I mean, the basic principle is this. You don't mess around with a man who's going to be king someday. <laughs> okay, you just don't do that. That's not a wise move to make, you might, you might add to your, your uh, principles of life. Proverbs 22 says this, A king's wrath is like a roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. So, David, the potential king here, remember Saul is, Saul is still a reigning king, per se, but David is the up-and-coming king. And Nabal is about to learn the truth of those words. And he made two mistakes here. He refused to show kindness to David and his men. That's first of all. When he had no reason not to. It's not like they were out there stealing their sheep or whatever. He was, they were totally above board. And then secondly, he insulted David and his father. When he asked, you know, who is David? Who's the son of David? You know, who are you people? I, you know, you're small potatoes. I don't know who you are. And uh, now remember, he's telling the men this story. Where's David? David's probably back in camp, building a fire, getting ready for all the meat to come in so they can have a big party. <laughs> so he's thinking, yeah, you know, this, is, this request is going to be granted, clearly. I mean, this is just something we do in our culture. You know, we've helped this guy out. Why wouldn't he give us part of uh, his uh, resources? And so, when he answered him that way, David, remember, he's not the kind of guy just to overlook something like this. Just his personality. So you look at the reaction that David has here, uh, beginning down in verse 14. But let's finish reading. So, uh, he says, uh, shall I take my bread? And then verse 12. So David's young men turned away, and they came back, and they told him all this. Told David this. So they just turned around and thought, this guy's a fool. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing, but we're just going to go tell David what he said. Verse 13, and David said to his men, look at his reaction here. Every man strap on his sword. That's a clue. Things are not going to go well <laughs> for Nabal and his little crew of shearers over there across the way. Uh, they're strapping on their swords. David also strapped on his sword. 
So he's not like Saul sending him out in the battle and he's going to stand back. He's, he's leading the, he's, he's really ticked off at this point. And every man of them strapped on his sword, verse 13, David also strapped on his sword and about 400 men went up after David. So David gives the whistle and they all load up and they start heading out. 200 of them, it says, uh, stay back with the baggage. In other words, all their, their resources in case a sneak attack or something. They, they don't know what's going to happen, but they're, they're being wise. They're not using all their, their men to go into this. They wouldn't need them. It was really overkill taking 400. Big time. But the reaction of David, which Abigail is introduced here next, what, was, what she was facing. So it says in verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, the only one that had any sense in her head, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. In other words, he just ripped into them. Humiliated them, as it would be another way to look at it. Sent them turning with the tail between their legs. Verse 15. Yet the men were very, look at what they say, good to us, David's men, were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. In other words, and he goes on, he said, we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. So it, it kind of has the indication that they were, you know, the the shears would move over here. Well, they were under David's protection. They would move over there. They were still under David's protection. He had a lot of men to protect them. And so the idea here is that David didn't do anything wrong. Abigail, we don't understand why your husband is reacting this way. Really, they did, because they knew he was a fool. They knew he was an idiot, basically, in a modern-day vernacular. That's what you would call a man like this. Verse 15, Yet the men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. And then uh, verse 16, it says, They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while, we were with them keeping the sheep. They were protection. They were like a force field. Keeping away any bandits, keeping away any animals, might go after the sheep, whatever. These men really protected these guys. Verse 17, Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do. In other words, Abigail, you've got to help us out here because we're about to undergo the wrath of the up-and-coming king, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such, look at how they describe him, a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. So in other words, th- this guy is beyond stupid. He's just angry. He's irritated, he's rich, and he's foolish. And you can kind of just see that the odds are now 400 to 1 in David's favor. He's got 400 men with him, and he's ticked off, he's hot under the collar, and he's going to teach this miserable guy a lesson. Um, Because you don't strap on your swords if you're just going to go have a little chat with somebody. Okay, (laughs) you strap on your sword because you're going to do some harm with that thing. So did, did David have reason to be angry? Sure, right? I mean, definitely. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, and this guy's taking out kind of his anger on, on David and his men. Well, he actually didn't handle it wrong. We're going to look at that in a second. 
So, right, his, his reaction was wrong, but his anger wasn't necessarily wrong. No. There's such a thing as righteous anger, right? I mean, you can be angry at something for the right reason. And so David had good reason to be angry, but he had no right to seek revenge. That's the difference. Okay, that's the big difference. Uh, he would have been better off telling his men and, and, and just himself saying, you know, this guy's a jerk. Let's just get out of here. You know, got to provide for our needs in another way. Uh, let's just forget about him. Let's move on. But he didn't do that. Um, before, you know, going any further in the story, remember, it was just a few days earlier, David could have taken revenge out on Saul, remember, last week in the cave. And he didn't do it in the cave in Engedi. Um, if anything, David had a, a, a greater reason to kill Saul. Why? Because he was trying to kill him, right? And Nabal was just not giving him some food. So, but here, uh, so he, you know, he would have even been right to do that um, in, in the world sense. But he knew he was respecting Saul's authority as king, as God's given uh, sovereign one over the nation at that time. And he said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But he didn't do it. So now comes along Nabal, and, and David is ready to snuff him out in a second <laughs> with 400 guys. I mean, they're not just going to kill him. They're going to obliterate everybody. And so you, you see where he had greater reason to kill Saul, but he didn't really have the same reasons to do this to Nabal. I mean, Nabal was by far a lesser man. He was nobody, really. I mean, he was rich. But somehow, he got under David's skin. And I think it had to do with breaking the tradition of, you know, here's David out there faithfully watching over this guy's flock, and then you know, not giving him anything there. But I think also it had to do with a personal insult. Who is David? You know, who is the son of Jesse? You know, he's, he's calling him out is what he's doing. And, and, and David, the merciful, in a split second becomes David, what, the vengeful. I mean, he's ready to lop off some heads. And I think if Abigail hadn't stopped him on the road, that's exactly what would have happened. You would have had a bloody massacre in Nabal's camp. He really meant to do it. I don't think it was just a threat. Okay, and so uh, the shock of this story, when you read through it, isn't Nabal and his reaction, the way he unkindly spoke to David's men. I mean, what else would you expect a mean-spirited, foolish, rich man to do? The shock is really how quickly David's uncontrolled anger turned David into a killer. (laughs) I mean, he was just going to go kill this guy because he wouldn't give him some food. And so you look at, at Abigail coming on the scene here, and um, you know they tell Abigail what's going on. They're, 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 they're kind of in fear for their life. They're thinking, man, somebody's got to tell her what's going on because he's, he's not going to listen. No one can speak to him. In verse 18, she begins to make preparation. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five seas of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. This is their version of, like, meals on wheels, okay? This is what she was doing. She was getting this thing ready. She's like, man, we got to head this guy off. Uh, this is not going to be good. And she said to her, her young men, and so she makes this, this you know, uh, she sees the problem 
first off, of David and, and what's going to befall her, her people. And she begins to make this, this preparation. And uh, she gets everybody together. You know, obviously, she can, there's no way she could do this all herself. So she probably had help. But they got it all loaded up on, on donkeys. And, uh, and she said to her young man, verse 19, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. So she's like, okay, I'm not even going to talk to this idiot. I'm just going to go do what i got to do here. And hopefully, now, you know, some people say, well, wasn't that being disrespectful of her husband? No, she's really saving her husband's life. Okay, so, you know, there, there are some times, even in marriages, where, you know, you counsel people. And you have some men, for whatever reason, you know, have the attitude of, well, she just needs to submit <laughs> no matter what. Well, no, pal, that's not how it works in a marriage, you know, because, frankly, your idea is really stupid. And, and she'd be foolish to submit to, you know, your leadership right now the way you're acting. So you kind of got to call them to task on that. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Um, Abigail is expressing some wisdom in this situation. And um, she didn't tell her, her husband, Nabal, verse 20, and as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. And so David's on his, his war path, and he's ready to wipe these people out, and he's going to do it. And, and so it says in verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. So you can tell this runs deep in, in David's thinking, in his being, in his blood. He's, he's just out for revenge. In verse 22, he says, God do so to the enemies of David, okay, and... Uh, uh, more so if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So he's talking mass slaughter. That's what's on his heart. That's what's in his head. And that's what they related, basically, to uh, Abigail. And so apparently, you know, uh, the reasoning of Abigail to David, we see here, is, is very wise. I mean, you can see this lady was depicted as being pretty intelligent, pretty smart, pretty... She, she, first of all, acts in humility before this guy. Now, this guy's coming to wipe out her whole village, basically. And when Abigail, Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed down to the ground. What's she doing? She's respecting him. Okay. She's doing something her husband wouldn't do. Uh, she's acting out of what? Humility. I mean, she knows what, what his intentions are. She's really putting herself in harm's way when you come and think about it. Because if David was really ticked off, I mean, he could just, eh, you know, <laughs> that's one of them. Who knows? But it, it tells us here that she begins to accept the blame in verse 24, even though it wasn't her fault. What was she trying to do? She's trying to do conflict resolution here. That's what she's doing, 101. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears 
and hear the words of your servant. Um, let not my Lord, Lord regard this worthless fellow, she's talking about her husband, this foolish fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is his game, is with him, is what she said. You know, he's just a fool. My husband's an idiot. My husband's a fool. Now, it's not a good thing for the wife to go around calling her husband a fool. That's never a good thing. But here, it was out of an act of, of humility, out of an act of protection, really, for him that she was doing this. It was really out of an act of love, you might say. And then it says, But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So you might say, well, she didn't really do anything. And she didn't. But she's kind of copping out. Well, you know, if I would have seen it, I would have had food ready for you guys. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. So she's, she's kind of taking the blame for this, even though she didn't do anything. Um, she's really saying, you know, I, I wish I would have headed them off at the pass. I would have had your food. You would have been out of here and it wouldn't even have been this, this, this uh, confrontation here. And then in verse... Uh, 26 says now then my lord as the lord lives so she 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 begins to almost be repentful before him as your soul lives because the lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving uh, uh with your own hand now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my lord be as nabal so she's basically honestly uh, telling uh, David here that look, you know this is kind of on me. Um, I, I'm sorry about all this. I didn't didn't get to prepare all the stuff, but uh, she acts in in humility, and she kind of points out a couple things here. Um, and I, I don't think these are in your notes because through her analyzation here, you kind of see a couple things. Uh, she, she offers basically three reasons why David should spare the life of her foolish husband. And uh, we see it first off there when it, when it says in verse uh, 26 to 28, you know, the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, just what I read. And it really speaks of, you know, God sent me to protect you from making a foolish mistake. That's what she's telling David. I'm here by God's hand to help you through this issue with my foolish husband. And, you know, you might call it restraining grace of God or protective providence of God. God provides for David someone to step in between, snap him out of his anger rage here, and to say, wait a minute, you need to think about what you're really going to do here. You're going to kill everybody in this whole village, all the men at least, because they wouldn't give you some food? And uh, Abigail basically says to him, God sent me, to keep you from committing murder by killing my husband, even though he's a fool. Um, and she appeals to his, she might say, his higher nature by calling him to grant forgiveness to someone as foolish as Nabal. Because he, tr- he truly wasn't a threat. I mean, the guy was so foolish he couldn't be a threat. Um, what she's saying is, you know what, let, let the Lord fight your battles. Because that's kind of what's been going on in David's life, right? The Lord has been fighting his battles. And he's been winning. 
And so Abigail's kind of appealing to him, hey, don't make a mistake here and mess things up. Secondly, she says, you know, God is the avenger of the wicked. Look at verse uh, 20, uh, 29, um, or verse 27, and now let this, this uh, present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who followed my Lord. So she appeases him with an offering there. She's going to give him the food. And then in verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant. So she seeks forgiveness for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord, look at what it says, is fighting the battles of the Lord. She, she recognizes David is a representative of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. So she's kind of laying it on thick here, but she means it. And I think David is a smart individual. He can tell when somebody's bluffing. She's not bluffing. Um, and then she says there in verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, and she knows what's going on probably between Saul and David here, uh, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. So she even kind of makes reference here to his previous encounter with Goliath, with the slingshot, all this stuff. I mean, this is a pretty smart woman. She, she, she knows what she's doing, but it's also, it's not flattery. It's, it's sincere. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful, she's, she's really playing the advocate here. She refers to Saul's pursuing David. She reaffirms David, hey, I know God's going to keep you safe. Don't worry about my stupid husband. You, know, you don't want to create more, more havoc here. You don't want to kill him. He, you, know, um, you can afford to show some kindness to Nabal because he's an idiot. He doesn't understand what he's doing. And then she even talks about the, the sling there. It's a subtle way of saying, if you rely on the Lord to fight your battles, you're going to win every time. That's really what she's saying. Um, that God is the avenger of the wicked. And then thirdly, she really wants him to see that if you do this, um, uh, if you don't do it, you will never regret it later. If you don't kill my husband, it's not something you're going to regret. Look at what she says in verse 30. Um, And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel. So she understands what his position is and where he's going. Verse 31, My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pains of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. In other words, listen, if you listen to my advice, David, you're not going to regret it later. You don't need to go kill my husband and everybody else in the village. You know, why, why would you want to become king and have blood on your hands? Up to this point, you know, he has been doing pretty good. And so he reminds him, she reminds him here that one day, you know what, you're going to be king. And little people like my foolish husband are not going to matter. But what will matter is your, your memories, your conscience. You know, you're going to be king one day, remembering back, oh, I went out and wiped out this whole village because they wanted to give me some food. And it took a lot of faith for her to do this. I mean, remember, this is, this is a guy that's ticked off. Okay, she's staring in the face of somebody who's angry. He's got a 400 men with him. They're kind of looked at as this uh, bunch of vagrants who are running from Saul. They're hungry. They're tired. Uh, that's not something you want to confront. Uh, sometimes we have 
we have homeless people here camp out in the, the campus and you know I made the mistake one time of waking one up <laughs> and I had to call the police because he got real confrontational so the police said never never wake up a homeless you don't know what they're going to do you don't know what they're on you don't know if they have a weapon you don't know just call us and, and we'll, we'll deal with it um, and it's just a good rule to go by because they're right you know, you don't know if they just took a bunch of drugs and they're whacked out of their mind. You don't know if they have a knife, a gun, who knows? And so he said, yeah, if they're sleeping, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't wake them up. Uh, and so, you know, here it's, it's, it's you, you know, you, you want to look at this and you say, wow, what are they, what are they, you know, doing here? You know, you have these, these men who are hungry, they're tired, they're, you know, they're angry. They're probably even buying into David's mentality of getting revenge. You know, we'll show this guy a thing or two, and then all of a sudden, here's Abigail trying to reason with him. You know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to reason with someone who is is angry. Um, and so, in light of David's destiny, what she's saying is, you know what? You can't really afford to give in to this temptation you're facing to take revenge. Um, you know, so many times when we're faced with the uh, opportunity to take out revenge, we think this is going to feel good. You know, we really do. I mean, our flesh wants to do it. Um, And it may even feel good while you're taking out the revenge. But you know what? It always feels sour later. It always feels bad later because it wasn't handled properly. You know, and, and we always want to remember you simply can't win by trying to get even with somebody. You, know, you don't want to buy into the argument tit for tat. You know, there's so many things that could be avoided, I think, in our everyday life. So many even broken relationships that would never happen. So many tears that would never be shed. So many marriages that even that could be healed um, if we just stop and think before we act or we speak. And we've all been there. We've all done that. You know, we've blown up, whatever. But you know what? It, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm not making an excuse for it. It's wrong every time. But it's, it's always wise if you can stop and just pull back and say, okay, let's look at this rationally. You know, um, I know sometimes when, you know, my wife and I get in a discussion, heated discussion, I always got to remind myself, we're on the same team. <laughs> we're on the same team. She's not my enemy. We're on the same team. You know, and it sounds kind of irrational even to have to say that. But sometimes your flesh just, you know, you, you, I don't know what happens, but it just clicks. And so you got to remind yourself that. And, and I think that's what, what Abigail here is appealing to, okay? Um, and, you know, we've all done things. We've all said things that we shouldn't have done in anger. And we live a lifetime wishing a million times we wouldn't have done that, okay? Well, you look at the, the response here of, of David in verse 32. Um, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord. So, first of all, he recognizes what Abigail's saying. He's saying, truly, you were sent by the Lord. He's saying, yeah, this is, this is a God thing. Because <laughs> I have every intention of killing everybody <clears throat> that you're, you're save, you're hiding, that's hiding behind you, your foolish husband and his band of, of idiots. You know, I'm going to wipe them all out. But So he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Uh, even down in verse 34. He says it once again, for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me <clears throat> from hurting you unless you had hurried 
and come to meet me truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. So David confesses his, his revengeful kind of spirit here, his heart. And he recognizes that God is in Abigail being there kind of as a buffer at that time. And he realizes in verse 33 there her discretion or her discernment, you might say. He says, blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. All right? Sometimes, you know, we want something to happen so bad, we're willing to roll up our sleeves and and just make it happen. And that's never a good thing. You know, that's never a good thing. If God's not in it, you know, it could be the most wonderful thing in the world. But if God isn't in it, you, you shouldn't be doing it. Okay, and, and so many times, even in ministry, we get so busy doing things and sometimes we've got to pause and say, wait a minute, does God really want us to do this? You know, this past year, uh, a year ago, basically, we had just finished VBS last summer. And uh, wife and some of the workers came and said, you know, next year I think we're going to take a break from VBS. And I'm like, what? You can't, you can't take a break from VBS. You've got to have VBS. We're in church. We've got to have vacation Bible school for the kids. We're just not feeling it. And I'm like, hmm. Well, I don't know. And I'm kind of a person that, you know, I get in the routine of doing things, and I'm going to do those things no matter what. <laughs> you know, it's just every day. Down at the coffee shop, 630, I'm there. You know, I mean, I could have to run my wife to Kaiser at 7 o'clock, but... I'm going to be at the coffee shop at 6 o'clock. I get my cup of coffee and I run home. And it's just something in my personality. I just get into this routine, you know. So, and it's not, it's not always good to be that way, but it's also, it, it has its benefits too, because usually you're pretty, you know, disciplined at things. But anyway, um, you know, it, what, what's, what I was going to say, what was I saying? What was I saying? I can't. Oh, yeah, so at VBS, sorry, that rabbit trail there, you know, prayed about it. We decided, okay, you know what, we're not going to do it next year. Well, the Lord knew that we would have several families with kids leaving <laughs> between now, then and now. So really, we would have been doing VBS for kids within our own church, maybe, what, five or six kids, you know? So it, it would have been, not that, you know, the five or six kids don't matter, but I'm just saying, if you're going to put all these resources into it, and there's other kids from the community that come, don't get me wrong, but... You know, we also lost a lot of help. So it was God's doing, right? And see, that's what, that's what David is saying here. I, I'm seeing your discretion, your, your understanding. You're definitely, God is in this, all right? And that's what he's, he's recognizing this. Um, and, and, and once Abigail here finishes her, her, her speech... Uh, Verse 34, for as surely as the Lord of God lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly the morning, uh, not one of Nabal's you know, guys would have been left, basically. Verse 35, then David received from her hand what she had brought him. In other words, I accept your offering, which is kind of a sign of, okay, everything's cool. We're good here. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition." Now, this is the king, you know, coming king speaking to this woman who comes out of nowhere. Uh, but what was, what was interesting is, is what happens 
next. <laughs> because, you know, right here would have been a nice place to end. Wow, this is ended real. But look at what happens, verse 36. So Abigail turns around and takes everybody and goes home. And David takes his food and they leave. Abigail came to Nabal, her husband, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house. So he's just party hardy, you know. Um, and look at what it says, like the feast of a king. Okay, so y- you can almost sense, you know, the jealousy from, from Nabal. He's, he's foolish, he's rich, and he's probably thinking, yeah, this guy's going to be king one day. I'll show these people what a king's party is like, you know, but the king's not going to be invited. David's not there. So, you know, he kind of has an attitude here about this whole thing. And it says, and Nabal's heart was merry within him. Why was it merry? For he was very drunk. So this wasn't a man who lived righteously at all. Uh, he allowed his emotions to get out of sorts. He allowed um, a lot of animosity to dwell in his heart. And he probably tried to soothe all that. The only thing that made him happy was alcohol. And you, you, know, you meet people like that almost every day. The only time they're happy is when they're drunk. Um, so she told him nothing. <laughs> Which was another wise thing on her part, I think. Because who knows how he would have responded. Um, At all until the morning light. So she gets home. He's having this giant party. She's probably looking at him thinking, you fool. You don't know. I mean, you would have been dead if it wasn't for me. You know what? I'm going to tell you what happened right now. And that... That's discipline on her part. It's discretion on her part. It's smart. You know, there's sometimes, even within a marriage, that you've got to pick the time and the place, right, to share critical information with somebody. Uh, that's, that's always wise to do that. Um, and then in verse 37, it says, In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, so he's probably got a hangover that's killing him, his wife told him these things. And look at what happens to poor Nabal, and his heart died within him. He had a heart attack. Couldn't believe it. And he became a stone. Just like that. I mean, this guy the night, he's, he's married, he's drunk, he's having a party, he's got all this, this, these resources coming in from all the, the stuff they're going to be selling, from the, the, the wool, from the sheep and everything. He's got a very rich man and he thinks boy you know stupid david you know i'm not gonna and he's now he's dead isn't that how i mean life sometimes that's how it is you know we sometimes even as believers i mean we look at people in the world we look at people who are even sometimes very 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 wealthy individuals i mean billionaires right but their lives are filled with unrighteousness and you're just thinking this is not right you know what they got it coming you know they got it coming and, you know, if, if their trust is going to remain in their wealth and all that stuff, you know what, uh, down the road, that's not going to help them before God. All that wealth and all their goods and all their houses and boats, or whatever, it's going to be left behind. And they're going to be standing before God. Uh, and, and basically, their heart is literally going to die within them as they are cast into hell for all eternity because of their lack of faith in Christ as their Savior. And so here, Nabal's dead. And uh, it says in verse 38, 
And about 10 days later, um, uh, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So, you know, it's kind of like his, the idea is here, he's had a stroke, a heart attack, whatever. He couldn't move. He's paralyzed, came to stone. And then it says the Lord struck Nabal and he was dead. Uh, That's why he died. He didn't die of coronary disease. He didn't die of whatever. He died because the Lord, what, carried out revenge. Um, Really, on behalf of his servant David. Because David was able to restrain himself and do the right thing and not do it himself. And, And you see that in life sometimes. I mean, you know, when you're able to restrain from what you think the Lord wants you to do and you're not really clear, but you're going to do it anyway, but you restrain yourself from it it becomes very clear afterwards, like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't go down that road. I'm so glad I didn't act on my impulses because Lord maybe brought somebody along that talked you out of it or whatever. But then, you know, days, months, whatever, years later, you look back and you're like, wow, God worked this out anyway on my behalf. I didn't even have to lift a finger. You know, and that's what, what David is is really sensing here. And so it was this revenge that the Lord brought. And then you see the the, the results here, verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. So it's kind of a a double blessing there. It's like, okay, blessed be the Lord who has avenged. He's taken out vengeance for the insult I received. But also, blessed be the Lord for keeping back me from doing anything wrong. from from going out and, and killing this man. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. If we can just get that into our into our thinking, that God sees everything. You know, He sees the whole the whole thing. We don't. So sometimes when we want revenge, we don't know if our revenge is the proper revenge. We don't know if it's legitimate. We don't know all the all the all the issues in a certain situation, we just know we want our pound of flesh. Um, and, and that's never a good thing. But God knows everything entirely. Uh, and so David praises God here. He blesses Abigail. Uh, he sees her as God's hand of providence intervening. Um, Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. Let me read that again. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment. David was a man of discernment, obviously, because he kind of got rebuked by Abigail. But he understood that, hey, this is this is wise. This is wisdom here. Uh, more than a hundred lashes of a of a fool. In other words, some people you can just beat them to death. They're not going to get it. They're, they'll be a fool to the day they die. Um, or Proverbs 15.31, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. In this case, David got wisdom from, uh, uh, from Abigail while you know, sparing Nabal's life here. Uh, at least for a few days it was spared until he had his stroke in his heart attack, whatever it was. Uh, so in verse verse 39 here, it's just kind of a sad end for Nabal in a way. I mean, 
um, while, while his wife is out there risking her life to save his life, he's home partying it up. And when she finally arrives home, he's drunk. And the next morning, you know, basically he has a heart attack because he's so uh, shocked at what happened, I guess. Uh, it's how close he came to actually being massacred. Um, so in verse 39 here, you see that, that, that David is really understanding that it was God who was protecting him. It was God who was punishing Nabal. And, and then look at, this is kind of an odd part here, but then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. He was obviously very, she made a very big impression on David, you might say. He listened to her. Uh, she was very beautiful. She was very intelligent. And it says in verse um, 40, when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. In verse 42, And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. You can tell she was pretty wealthy from (laughs) from five women to attend her. Wouldn't you like that, ladies? Uh, She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And so... Through all this whole mess, God provides David with a wife. Now, you know, you think that, wow, that's a sweet ending too. You know, we've had like three sweet endings here. Um, The problem is, (laughs) the problem is David's already married, okay? So we got a little issue here. Um, uh, In time, Abigail turns out here to be the best wife David ever had, really, Um, but, you know, he was already married, so this was a, a polygamous situation, which God didn't um, ordain, but it happened all the time. Okay, it was very common among Israel's kings, uh, polygamy. So, you know, don't get hung up on that. That's not, it's not endorsing it. It's not saying, oh, this is the right thing to do. It's just stating a fact. This is, this is basically how it, it, it worked out. Um, but in, in retrospect, you know, when you look at this story, uh, you can you can see that God solved this very dangerous situation, okay? Because a godly woman convinced an angry man to wait on a holy God to do His work on the, His behalf, um, and so David waited. God worked, and eventually they became husband and wife. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Romans. Uh, where it talks about, you know, God working all these things together for good, you know, and he does, right? Um, Abigail literally poured coals of kindness on David's head and overcame evil with good. And that should be our goal as believers. You know, sometimes we get maligned, sometimes people treat us, you know, how are we going to, are we just going to respond, are we just going to react, you know, or, or can we put this, what we see tonight, into practice? Uh, David gave room for God's wrath to work itself out in Nabal's life and exactly what happened. That's exactly what it did. Um, and so at least for David and Abigail all ends well. What well, I want to leave you with just uh, verse uh, 43 there. David also um, took Hinoam of Jezreel and both of them became his wives. She had given uh, Micah, Saul had given Micah his daughter, David's wife, 
to uh, Palti, the son of Laish, who was in Galem, who was of Galem. So, you know, they got all this stuff going on here, but I, I, I don't want to necessarily focus on all that because I think there's some lessons here that we can learn from chapter 25. Um, first of all, I think an important truth to take away from this is yesterday's victories do not win today's battles. Yesterday's victories do not win today's battles. You know, and I want you to think about this in the life of, of David. How quickly David was overcome by anger. I mean, just in a split second, man, he's strapping on a sword, getting 400 men. We're going to go wipe out this whole, you know. And he, it, the same thing can happen to us. The same thing. And uh, you may win the battle. You may have won the battle yesterday. But don't think that that entitles you to a win today. That's just the way life is. Um, you may lose it today. Uh, you may have patience today, but tomorrow <laughs> you have no patience. Uh, that's just that's the way life is. And as you consider the larger things that worked out here in David's life, um, I can kind of understand how things happened the way uh, they did. Think about it. David knew that Saul wanted to kill him, right? I mean, it's been going on for chapters. And uh, so he wasn't surprised when Saul tried to pin him to the wall. It's like an ongoing thing. It was just, oh, yeah, Saul's going to kill me. He's out to get me. I'm going to run. And so he had plenty of time, think about this, to to process this. This guy is out for my head, and I'm going to avoid it. (laughs) So by the time... David shows up in this cave and Saul goes in to relieve himself and he could have very easily wiped Saul out. You know, he, he's been processing this. And he's probably already concluded, okay, I'm going to try to work this out with Saul somehow. I'm not just going to lop his head off if I get the opportunity. And when you, when you stop and, and think about it, you know, David showed mercy in the cave because he had thought through many times and he decided beforehand that he wasn't going to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed, that being Saul. And the same principle explains his reaction to Nabal. He had every reason, think about it, to expect Nabal was going to what? Just give him the food. I mean, that was a normal thing. Uh, so he wasn't, he wasn't prepared for such a hostile response from Nabal. What do you mean they wouldn't give you the food? Are you serious? Yeah, and he said, yeah, who's the son of Jesse? You know, you can't just tell the servants, telling David this stuff, and David's just seething with anger. Get the swords ready. We're going to go take out. So he reacts in anger. Why? Because he wasn't prepared. Um, and so what's the lesson here? You know, the Bible tells us to be sober, to be vigilant. All right? And, and, and when we, especially when it comes to things of a spiritual nature, um, in the moment of a, of a great triumph, the next moment you could stumble and fall. <laughs> and most of us do. You know, don't ever think, I got this, because we never do. You know, and if we can just get that in our heads, because when we face great crisis, we normally rally all of our resources together to help us to get through. And so, you know, uh, we pray, we seek the Lord, we search the Word, we do all this stuff, we depend on our friends, and... But when we're faced with something just in a split second, we don't have time to prepare for it, what happens? Well, we react. And God's lesson to us is don't, don't react that way. You know, let, just remember God is still in control. 
um, when it's a, a little trial, when it's something that's, you know, a little irritation every day, we're more prone just to kind of go about it with our own strength. You know, if it's something like, oh, you know, a bad report from the doctor or something happened to one of our children, well, we call the church, we get, you know, but when it's something small, we try to deal with it our own. And, and that's when we end up failing, you know. And so we, we need to, uh, you know, re- remind ourselves of that. Um, and so the other thing is, is simply this. Revenge is for fools. <laughs> revenge is for fools. It's for foolish people. Don't ever think that revenge is a good thing. It's not. God has our back. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 12, I think it is, Paul says very clearly, you know, don't, don't think you got this. Don't think you're going to be standing firm because it's right then that you're probably going to fall. All right, that's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. And see, David learned this lesson of revenge is for fools the hard way. Uh, you know, he was obviously, the Bible, we've gone over this, a, you know, a man after God's own heart, he wanted God's will in his life. He, he's trying to do, obey, be obedient, whatever. But it wasn't for the intervention of Abigail, this, this lady. Um, he would have made a stake that really would have, cost a lot in the future. Um, it would have marred his future going forward. Um, revenge never works out the way we want it to. But we, we paint it. We make it look all nice. right? We call it a sweet revenge. You know, we're going to get even. Uh, we're going to settle that score with somebody. Uh, we're going to give him a dose of his own medicine. I mean, these are just phrases we use. Uh, measure out an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tit for tat, blow for blow, whatever. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. Um, And we can never be sure, as I said, that our punishment to someone is just. We just don't have all the facts. We we can't. We don't know everything. Um, It may be too harsh, or it may be too easy, even, of revenge. But God knows everything. If we just leave it up to him, he will carry it out the right way. Uh, he can do it. Um, I read a little article this last week. It talked about somebody going through a problem, and his, the pastor called him and said, look, God is large, and he's in charge. <laughs> so just let it go. You know, and that's a good truth to hold on to. You know, sometimes we forget how much God uh, oversees the, the events in our lives. Um, so, you know, hopefully that, that, that those, those lessons from from David and, and Nabal and Abigail, help us to uh, focus on, you know, the idea that revenge is not something that we should really be uh, uh, quick to, to run down that, that lane because it's, it's usually wrong and uh, we should be leaving it up to the Lord.